Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, really interesting off-narrative information on mammograms. This week on Full Measure, we are in reruns, actually for the whole summer while I'm out researching and beginning to shoot new stories for our fall season seven. Our repeat this week is that wonderful cover story that I did on Nashville and the impact of the COVID shutdown on this music city. Country music star John Rich was one of the folks nice enough to welcome us into his bar in downtown Nashville and help us see what's happened to country music, how the COVID shutdown, which a lot of people think was excessive and went on longer than it had to in Nashville, how that not only impacted what was happening in the moment in real time, but how it's probably going to impact country music and the stars that would have been for the next 10, 20 years and may never be because of what's happened in Nashville. Really interesting story, very colorful too. We also have a really interesting story about a clean coal contest in Wyoming where people from around the world, the smartest engineers and technicians and academic students are looking at the best ways to make coal plants cleaner by finding ways to reuse the dirty emissions that we don't want going into the atmosphere. They've come up with some amazingly clever and forward-thinking things. And then we'll speak to the author of a book about why America can't seem to win wars. All that coming up Sunday. It's a great episode to share with your friends. If they're not familiar with Full Measure, you can find the station list by going to CherylAckeson.com and click the Full Measure tab for the list by state. Also, you can watch at fullmeasure.news live or replays anytime. We post the program on Sundays about noon Eastern time after it airs on most of our stations. You can also catch Full Measure on the free app STIRR, S-T-I-R-R. STIRR has a lot of other really cool free programming as well, including movies and local news and series. For our podcast today, we speak with Megan Smith, a documentary maker, and her latest documentary is called Boobs. What gave you the idea for a documentary about this topic? My husband passed of cancer 12 years ago, and I had three dear friends pass from breast cancer within two years. And I just felt that I wanted to do something to help the cause. So I grabbed a videographer, I was already a journalist, and we set out around the EU and all over um, Northern America and just started filming. Can you tell me just something specific that you learned as you went through these tragedies? And I'm sorry, my condolences for them. But what did you learn that made you think there's a story to be told here that people don't know about? Well, my girlfriends, they had their cancers return after 10 and 15 years um, when they thought they were cancer free. 
And my husband actually died in my opinion of the chemotherapy, not of the cancer. And so I started to look into alternative cancer therapies and um, soon fell into this, uh, what was going on in the world of mammography. So I stopped another film that I was making and just put out this one section on mammography that I was hoping to be able to get some reaction to quickly and possibly change the curve we were on. You know, there was breast cancer in my family, my mother and my sister who so far are fine after treatment. So that's good news to date. Good. But I remember asking my doctor and I go to a special general surgeon who I think is an expert in this. And a couple of things I learned I thought was interesting because I too have girlfriends who had cancer and as well as my mother that was misdiagnosed or not properly diagnosed initially. And the surgeon that I go to says he'd never perform surgery on any woman whose cancer was detected by her OBGYN. And that's who most of us, I think, go to. I had a lump that was missed by my OBGYN too, as well. And I wonder why that is. I asked him and he just said, I don't know. I just don't think they're, for whatever reason, they're not very effective at detecting it. Have you noticed anything like that? Is that covered at all in your research? No, I will say that. So I, I assume they're just talking about um, the a lump in the breast. Right. Um, I will say that breast cancer is overdiagnosed a lot. And I'm, I've seen figures up to 30%. Um, so I would, I would strongly urge women, um, this is what I would do, to go get a second opinion. Um, because the pathology, I always thought that was about 100% um, correct. And it's not. It's very subjective. Uh, how the pathologist has been trained, what kind of mood he's in that day. <laughs> You know, um, so I would definitely take my slides and go to a different pathologist because let, let me ask you if you can explain in simple terms, just for lay people like me, I tried to find out myself, what's the difference between what looks like cancer under a microscope and what is not cancer if they're both lumps. And I think it has something to do with whether sort of broken cells are escaping a confined area or whether if there's some sort of lump, they're sort of staying in a confined area, but how would you describe it? So that's probably mostly talking about a beast called um, ductal carcinoma in situ. The word in situ means in place. And that's one of the big cancers that's being overdiagnosed, hence overtreated. Women are getting mastectomies when all they have, in the, unless it's invasive already, is a precancer and it's rated as stage zero because it hasn't gone anywhere. But the women hear the word carcinoma and they go running to the breast cancer surgeon having their breast taken off. So that's because when the guidelines for breast cancer screening were changed in 2009 to every other year, it was largely because of that beast of being overdiagnosed and overtreated. So um, once it escapes the ducts in the breast, it can become invasive but the problem, and this is what I was finding through my research, there's a lot of speculation that actually the compression of up to 45 pounds from a mammogram can actually, there's so much trauma to the breast, inflammation, that can actually possibly lead to induced um, uh, metastatic cancer. And also the amount of radiation that's going into the breast repeatedly year after year is a lot higher than what we're being told particularly from the gynecologists who don't know under radiation 
and they're telling us it's the same as flying across the United States, the United States when what they're talking about is, um, and they don't even know this, it's scattered radiation versus the absorbed dose going right into the breast. That's the one that can induce the breast cancer. Well, I think it's a fascinating point and probably the main thing we'll talk about today, the impact or potential impact of mammograms on breast cancer. And, and again, just people probably like me that don't know much about it, after many years of regular mammograms, thinking I'm doing the right thing because it runs in my family, you know how hard they press. If any men are, are listening, you've probably heard stories about how compressed and pressed the breast is when it's photographed. And I did ask my doctor some years ago, is there a point of diminishing returns? I mean, I'm obviously I'm not a medical expert, but I said crushing the breast and radiating it, particularly if there are any cells in there that are susceptible, that can't be good. And he, he acknowledged that that can be a problem, but nobody knows. He said, at what point there's the diminishing returns. What, what did you learn? Well, one thing, let me say this. Um, one thing they have not done yet is a side-by-side -side true placebo control group of women that never get mammograms versus ones that get mammograms every year, starting at age 40. So until that study is done, all this is speculation, but there's been a lot of speculation about, again, 45 pounds of pressure up to 45 on your breast year after year. But it was mostly it's this, this um, the dense breast tissue that 90% of us have some degree of. Um, there's 50% of us are in the top two categories of dense breast, dense breast tissue makeup. And that is concerning because what they don't tell you is that that tissue is the most radiation sensitive in your body. And so when you're radiating it, you're more inclined to get DNA damage that can lead to induced cancer years later, right? So that's the one thing they don't tell us. They also don't tell us the denser your breasts are, the more they're radiating you during a mammogram. They're cranking up the machine. They're taking multiple pictures until the radiation tech thinks that the radiologist might be able to differentiate between the dense breast tissue, which is white, and the cancer that is white. And I have dense breasts and I've had a number of mammograms and this is very concerning to me and it should be concerning of most, to most women um, because they're saying that dense breast tissue is susceptible to more ca induced cancers up to six times. But, I, but I'm also seeing um, they're, in, they're raising the radiation amount to these dense breast tissues. So they're scratching their heads saying, we don't know why this is true. And I'm thinking common sense, maybe it's the radiation that you're bombarding the dense breast tissue with. Well, that makes sense. I, I, um, you know, I think as a woman and maybe some of the men listening too, we've all heard so many stories of how simple medical things are done improperly when it comes to breast cancer and mammograms. Um, I thought I was doing the right thing again when I was 30 years old because breast cancer was in my family of getting a mammogram before I really needed it. So I went down to the doctor, got the mammogram, thought it was great. And then they gave me the result and they said, well, we can't see anything. Your breast tissue is too dense. It just looks like a white snowstorm. And I'm thinking, then why did I even, why did you recommend I get a mammogram? So I guess that was just radiation with no benefit back when I was 30 years old. Correct. And the younger your breasts are, the more dense they are, the more radiation sensitive your breasts are to induce breast cancer. I got my first mammogram at 35. 
So there, so much of the literature, and they debated this at nauseum, says do not get a mammogram before you're 40, and some of the literature says 50 because then you're starting to go into menopause and you start to lose that that breast um, density, and so it's a little bit safer to use the mammogram. But I don't. I just. I, after I've done all this research, I, I just, I'm never going to get another mammogram. I use ultrasound and thermography. Um, it's non, they're both non-radiative and I think it's just safer. And ultrasound actually is what the literature is pointing to is it's just as accurate as a mammogram and it doesn't have the radiation. And it's particularly good for women that don't, that have dense breast tissue. So why aren't they using that? Well, the insurance- I asked, Let me ask you this question. This may be an good answer I got or not a good answer. I asked my doctor that a couple of years ago. I thought, why not do, you know, is ultrasound safer and doesn't have radiation? Could I do that in between the mammograms? I thought the doctor told me that ultrasound is good if you know where a lump is and you can hone in on it, but not so good for the general look at the whole breast. Is, is that your experience or what you know, or is, is that incorrect? I have never seen that. I know that GE has come up with a um, whole breast ultrasound that rolls over the whole breast. So I've never seen that. I mean, I'm not sure why they would say it was just as accurate if that's true. Um, certainly, I mean, they certainly, they use ultrasound to guide the biopsy needle um, after they find it on a mammogram, but I've never seen that. Well, I'm gonna go over and we'll elaborate on some of these things you touched upon some of the key facts and sources presented in your film that your publicist sent me so that we understand some of what's there. It's very intriguing. Mm -hmm. um, one factoid that you discuss is that with most breast cancers, by the time you can feel a lump, a cancerous lump, the cancer has been in your body for two to five years. Correct. The exception to that rule, it would be the fast growing cancers but they're talking about most are, are not estrogen driven. So they're slow growing cancers. And so when they say this is early detection, it's not early detection. Mammography actually is just early. It picks it up an earlier stage. So you might get lucky and have a stage one and just have to have, you know, your breast removed. Um, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't pick it up when it's early. That's why I like thermography because that actually sees inflammation in the breast that can lead to breast cancer and you can reverse your lifestyle. It's not easy, but I did it and my, my thermography changed over a year's time. So is that is that a process that is sometimes not covered by insurance? Because a lot of people, regardless of what you want to do, if your insurance company is not going to pay for it or doesn't consider that part of its process, I think a lot of women can't go there. Correct. That's the problem. Thermography is, it's been, it's FDA approved, but it hasn't been regulated and they've never, they did an old study back in the seventies and thermography is thrown out early because the way they handled the study was done incorrectly. So I'm actually, I've already, I've talked to the American Cancer Society, um, Otis Brawley right after he left and, and talked to him and we did a presentation about ultrasound in conjunction with thermography. And after he saw the evidence, he said, I think this is definitely worth studying. So that's what I would be pushing for is let's get this thing studied. It won't take that long. It won't, it won't be expensive. So that's one of the things I'd like to see. What I've learned as a journalist and probably you've learned the same thing is you find a lot of answers to the inexplicable when you follow the money. Right. The mammogram industry, whatever that is, 
Um, are they a powerful lobby? Are they perhaps uh, lobbying against or making the case against using these alternate sources? There's something going on. I haven't put my finger on it, but I mean, you got powerful, you know, companies like GE, et cetera. Um, so yes, there, it's an $8 billion um, industry. And there, you know, we're going down the road of 3D mammography, but let me say this. If, if you don't ask the 3D facility if they have a, a certain software, they're going to be radiating you twice the amount of a 2D mammogram, which is what we normally get today, the old, the old 2D versus 3D. So you have to ask them if they have the software. That's so important. And most of these facilities do not. So women are receiving right off the bat, before we even talk about dense breast tissue, they're getting twice the amount of radiation than the old 2D. So if someone wants to do a 3D x-ray on you, what is the question you should ask? You ask them if their facility has the software. And generally that alone will, <laughs> they'll know what you're talking about. Cause I did this one time and she immediately said, oh yes, 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 we have it. So that's what you, you wanna make sure because otherwise you're getting zapped. Otherwise they do something without software and it doesn't control that. They do, they do both 2D and 3D separately instead of putting them together at the same time. So okay. you're getting double radiation and the literature is very loud about that. And we're not told this, so there's no informed consent. So another factoid, we touched on this. This was from an article in the British journal Lancet. Compression during mammography can rupture cysts and dissemination of cancer cells as a result of compression might occur. That's what we said, it's sort of common sense. You press something you know, really, really hard. And if it is bad tissue, it seems like that would, that would be worse. Correct, and the other thing is, um, I didn't know this, but a lot of times women will get biopsies and then they'll be subjected to a mammogram. Well, now you got a hole in, the, in what was an encapsulated tumor, you've now got a hole in it. <laughs> So common sense would tell me that's not a good idea either. And I had, I interviewed a patient that said, and her doctor agreed with this. She said a tumor literally bubbled out of where the biopsy needle went after she had the mammogram. That's scary. Okay. And then there's a D Thompson who I believe spoke about a study that was in JAMA. And it said as many as one of every four breast tissue biopsies tested for cancer may have been incorrectly diagnosed by pathologists taking part in a study to test their skills. What's that about? So that was a, it was a small sample size, but I thought it was important to put in because they haven't done enough of those studies. Um, Komen came out with a, a study that said between two and 4% are um, incorrectly diagnosed. And that the 30% may be, um, they may be talking mostly about DCIS but the thing, again, mammographies are subjective, a radiology, you know, radiologist looking at it, and also the biopsy is subjective. So you've got two areas of a lot of, there's a lot of error possibilities. We're going to take a short break and then continue with some really interesting facts from this documentary. Um, so stay with us. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. 
It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We are back talking about the documentary Boobs, and this is a very serious subject. This is something I bet a lot of women have had questions about and heard conflicting information about whether to get mammograms and how often and how effective they are. And I want to remind people that I'm never giving medical advice when I talk about or report about these topics. That's up to you to gather your information, talk to your physician. I'm all for reading a lot, reading a lot of off-narrative information. As an aside, I've done stories about how their leading journal editors, including the former editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Marsha Angel, and the current editor of Lancet, Dr. Horton, who have said that much of the studies in these peer-reviewed published journals, their own and others, are not to be believed because the pharmaceutical industry is so co-opted science and studies. So it's important to read a lot of information, including off-narrative information and sources. But one of the factoids that you talk about in the documentary is that more than 90,000 people currently living with breast cancer may in fact be living or dying with an incorrect diagnosis. And that's attributed to the Susan G. Komen for the Cure white paper from 2006. So you're saying some people may have, think they have cancer and it's just a subjective diagnosis that's happened and they really don't have it? Yeah, that's, again, it comes into, um, you know, if you go through the system of getting mammography, ultrasound, uh, biopsy, and then the pathology, who is the morning, you know, morning, Monday morning quarterback, he, he's got the final say, if he diagnoses it wrong, sees a cell type that's not correct, it's questionable, then the woman starts going down the road of treatment. And I, I just find that I couldn't believe this was going on to the degree it was. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty rampant. So Thomas Kolb MD is quoted as saying two thirds of premenopausal women and a quarter of postmenopausal women have breasts dense enough that a mammogram will miss their breast cancer. And I have heard that before that just because you get a diagnosis after a mammogram that says it's clear, it doesn't really necessarily mean that it is. And I'll elaborate on that for a moment and say my mom's breast cancer she had a lump and it was checked with a mammogram and they told her afterwards they couldn't see the lump on the mammogram and not to worry about it. And I said, I remember saying this is years ago. Well, did they not tell you to come back or keep checking it or at least do self exams to see if it changes? And she said, nope, they said not to worry about it. Well, she, she did have cancer. And when she mm. went back for a checkup a year later, it, it was now spread enough that she had a mastectomy. But I learned after that, that some breast cancers don't show up on mammograms. And my doctor, I think does say that when I get the result, they say, this doesn't mean you don't have cancer, but anyway, what are your comments on the notion that mammogram may miss breast cancer? So, um, that's mostly, um, my understanding is due to the dense breast tissue. Again, you know, women are premenopausal. They have, they miss more cancers because their, their breasts are denser. And this is where the ultrasound comes in handy, but there's a real disconnect between the radiation physicists, the radiologists, the gynecologists. I mean, it's just, it's a mess out there. The radiologists 
will give, I mean, I've heard of this happening. They give the gynecologist a report that says this woman has extremely dense breasts and she should probably be getting a, an ultrasound. And then the gynecologist for, we don't know why, drops the ball and doesn't recommend that the woman gets an ultrasound. And then that woman ends up getting breast cancer. I've heard of that happening. So this is why they started to the, I don't know if you know, um, Joe Capello and Nancy Capello, his wife, who she was diagnosed a couple months after she had 11 years of, in a row of, of good mammograms, she was diagnosed with 3C breast cancer and um, because she found a lump in her breast and she had, you know, she's now passed, but before she, she died, God bless her, she went around and she started this whole um, notification for de um, breast density Got, the, got those through the Connecticut state legislature and then it went from there. And now there's like 35 states that they, they tell you you have dense breasts. They don't, a lot of times they don't tell you what it means. They don't tell you you should get an ultrasound and they're, they're don't, not telling you that you're getting more radiation during the exam. I mean, so it's just, it's kind of a half full kind of <laughs> situation. Well, I think most of us notice with medicine, it seems as though instead of informing you about risks and benefits in a, I guess I would say fair and neutral way, they're often presenting things in a way that tries to convince you for a certain course of action. And maybe some people want that. They wanna know exactly what their doctor thinks and they don't want information presented equally. But I think some people, including me, I would like to hear the positives and the negatives without, without it being slanted. And by that, I mean, you may have a doctor say, well, yes, there are some risks with mammography, but nobody really takes that too seriously. And it's far outweighed by the benefits. You know, they end up kind of minimizing the information. So you're not getting a full recitation of what, what is known scientifically. Is there any study that's been done in any country that looks at, is there this, as I said, diminishing returns, the impact of lots of mammograms versus people that don't get as many in terms of cancer and cancer outcome and diagnosis? Well, I think that's where the guidelines changed in 2009 because, of, because they did discover that they were over-diagnosing women with this ductal carcinoma in situ, DCIS. And they were also radiating women um, with dense breast tissue. They were getting induced breast cancers most likely. And so they pulled back on the guidelines. So the research was all pointing to that. And there was a big panic in the industry because they knew that they were now gonna start, you know, the radiation, the radiation association still recommend that women get their breasts radiated starting at 40 versus the US Preventative Services Task Force, they say start at 50. And American Cancer Society split the difference and they recommend it starting at 45. So you can see where the industry stands, even though they know more than anybody how much radiation we're getting and the risks involved. Well, I remember when the guidance changed and I don't recall getting the clear message that that was because there was a question about too much radiation. I just remember them saying stuff like, well, it may not be necessary. It could be just as good to get them every other year rather than every year or whatnot. And I kind of wish they had said there is a potential safety risk with getting too many. I kind of deduce that on my own, but again, I feel like when information is released to the public that it's often spun by public health officials in a way that we don't really get the full information in a clear way. 
I agree with you. And most of that, again, most of that was over the concern of overdiagnosis. These 25 to 30% of women that have breast cancer have this DCIS precancer that are getting their breasts taken off and radiated. Um, but there's definitely part, it also points to the radiation induced cancers. So it was a one, two punch. Okay. On the overdiagnosis playing devil's advocate, I think a lot of women are so scared of cancer. They would say, I'd rather be safe than sorry. If there's a subjective element to this, or if there's something that could even possibly turn into cancer, even if it's not now, I'm good with, you know, taking aggressive steps, even if it's an overdiagnosis, what would you say to that? I can totally understand why they would say that. And I have had women come up and tell me so much. And I say, yes, I understand. I just think it's the woman's, it's her prerogative. If given all the information before she goes into this, either a mammogram and or treatment should know all of the risks and benefits factually based on science and not just spin from the associations or whomever. And I do, I do know a woman who had both of her breasts taken off because she had this stage zero DCIS. The doctors said, look, we really strongly think you, we advise you to get your breasts taken off. And she was hesitant. She had them taken off. And now she's reading the literature that's saying, oops, maybe we're, we're over-diagnosing these women and they don't need to have mastectomies. So yeah. she's feeling pretty bad about that, as you can imagine. You know, um, on a related topic, this is one of your factoids, and I'm not sure I ever saw a study about this. I think I heard anecdotally, there's discussion about women wearing bras versus women who don't wear bras after menopause. And that the ones that aren't, I guess, binding or compressing their breasts, they too have a lower rate of breast cancer than those who are wearing bras. Tell me about that. So I have done some research on bras. I couldn't find that much. Um, I want to do a deeper exploration on that. Um, I'm writing a book right now by the, hopefully the same name as the film, which is boobs. And um, I'm going into deeper um, literature um, uh, research. And, but my understanding is that the bra, the, especially the underwire is constricted in lymphatic flow out of your breast. And it kind of, it makes sense, just common sense alone before you even, you know, look at the science. So it, it kind of makes sense that we're, we're, mm -hmm. we're clogging up the breast. I mean, the lymphatic system is extremely important and you, you've got to let that, let, let it flow because <laughs> it takes out the toxins that get into our tissues. Interesting. Well, one more, if you don't mind me telling a brief story, something I learned when I was an investigative reporter for CBS, and I noticed that warnings went on antiperspirants, I think it was for potential kidney damage and antiperspirants technically are ruled as a drug and they were changing labeling during this time period to reflect that. And I had a contact, a source with the FDA and I wanted to find out more. And when I called to ask, he said, oh, I thought you were gonna call about the breast cancer risk with the antiperspirants. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm listening. And that kind of took me down a rabbit hole. He was saying that there is concern about potential breast cancer from antiperspirants, not deodorants, but antiperspirants because of the aluminum and that the FDA was having trouble with the industry fighting any notion of putting an alert or warnings on the label. But this FDA scientist told me he would never let anybody in his family use antiperspirants, they use deodorants. So I ended up producing a story for CBS News and I found out that there are, there were at the time, this is years ago, 
several studies that link antiperspirants to breast cancer, although at the time the FDA had an incorrect statement, as did Snopes on their website, that this was a myth, that it had been disproven, and it wasn't. And I certainly got, I got the FDA to acknowledge that. I think they changed their website, at least at the time. Snopes may have changed theirs too. But um, I also spoke to a doctor whose wife had died of breast cancer and he dug into this. He was a dermatologist. And he noted that when she, she was a very heavy antiperspirant user and shaver. And he said, I believe that most breast cancers start in the outer quadrant of the breast where you're near where you're shaving and putting antiperspirant on that got him started. And he did a study and found uh, he claims a link as well. So when you talk about all of these things we do near our breasts and around our breasts and the compression, the application of chemicals, all of that certainly could have some impact. And we're not always getting the straight story. In fact, when the cosmetic industry, when I was doing that story, I asked them for an interview and they referred me to the American Cancer Society which I thought was strange. So when I called the American Cancer Society, I asked if they got money from the deodorant or the antiperspirant industry, the cosmetics industry, and they do. And they were actually mad that I disclosed that in my report. I thought it was very important to say that they were in essence speaking on behalf of the antiperspirant industry. And they initially denied that there was a link between antiperspirants and breast cancer. But when I sent them the studies for comment, shocked that they're Doctors didn't seem to have the studies or know about them. They no longer denied it, but they sort of deflected so that every question I asked about the link, they would answer with, well, it's really important that women get mammograms and more important that they do that than worry about any slight risk of antiperspirants. So that's, that's sort of veering off on a long story, but it, it showed me that there is a lot of potential misunderstanding or misinformation going around about these very important topics. And Komen also, um, to segue into that, uh, Komen actually took about a quarter of a million, at least one year that I know of, from a bra company. So, and they don't say, they said there's no, there's no correlation between breast cancer and, and bra use. I mean, if people haven't already figured it out, expanding beyond this issue, many nonprofits that sound like they are doing one thing are in fact doing quite the other, representing the interest that you think they're sort of doing watchdog for, they're, they're representing that interest or they're paid for that interest. And these giant corporations and interests have found ways to get their nose under the tent at these big nonprofits and so on. So that's something to be aware of when you're doing your research. And it's not only the companies, it's also our government, quite frankly. Right. I found right. so many myths on FDA, CDC. I mean, CDC is still saying they don't understand why women with dense breasts are getting more breast cancer. It's like, it's right there in the literature. <laughs> yeah, I would say that based on my experience and my sources, CDC often and FDA are mere extensions of the pharmaceutical and vaccine industry. And people need to understand that too, that they're sort of serving as marketing entities in some cases for these medicines rather than looking neutrally at safety concerns, although they have great scientists there that do that. Those scientists are not often afforded the opportunity to weigh in or have influence over those who are more connected to the pharmaceutical industry interests. And that's so, because of the revolving door. With, yes. Yeah. Employment. So um, to close, for women that are confused, again, I, I advocate, this is me talking, they not make a decision just based on what 
you're saying and we're saying they really look into this stuff. They look for the studies and the alternate information. They talk to their physicians, but they try to be very informed. But what would you say is a good step amid all this confusing information for a good approach for a woman to take if her doctor may not even know about a lot of these things that you've talked about? What is some common sense recommendations that you would make? Well, talk to your doctor, The I mean, <laughs> but, but know that they don't have, like you said, they don't have all the information. Um, question, question them. Um, if you, I mean, if you don't mind me plugging my film, my film, Absolutely. Has a lot, my, my film has a lot of good information in it and you can find it at boobsdoc.com, B-O-O-B-S-D-O-C.com. And it's a good starting point. Um, I think the more we get this word out, the more, you know, possibility of something changing down the, down the road. Now, if they go to boobsdoc.com, do they down purchase it and download it or how does that work? Yeah, it, it both through street, you can either stream it, rent it, buy it, or you can buy a DVD and they'll ship it to you. Did you try to get it on Netflix or something like that? Um, it's Vimeo. Mostly. Vimeo. Vimeo. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Very informative. I hope people look into this and watch the documentary and get informed for their own health sake. So thanks once again. Thank you, Cheryl. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you'll check out Full Measure every Sunday throughout the summer. We'll be back with a new and fresh season seven, our seventh year, beginning in September. I hope you'll check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, subscribe to both of them, leave a good review, share them with your friends. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Americans are rightly alarmed by the increasingly tight grip on the news and information by special interests, corporate interests, and big tech. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I tell the important inside story of how we got here and the Orwellian world where we will find ourselves if the course isn't altered. Pick up a copy of Slanted today.